All right, guys, as promised on this episode of the Inside Dirt Show, we are catching up with Nathan Crawford. Uh, NATO just back from his uh, maiden season in the MXGP series, racing for the 114 Honda Motorsports team uh, in the MX2 class. And with that, let's bring him on. Uh, NATO, thanks for taking the time out to talk to me, mate. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate you having me on today. No, that's good, mate. Hey, um, I wanted to, uh, you know, get you on as soon as you got home, and obviously you're home a little earlier than the end of the season. But we'll um, we'll get to that. But uh, first of all, how was, um, you know, how was getting back? Did you have to quarantine, or what was the go there? Yeah, the uh, the whole situation of getting home from Europe was actually really crazy. Um, in in regards to like days, because uh, I left uh, Europe, and then within three days, the whole country. Uh, like uh, the main countries that I were in were completely locked down. So I like nearly missed like the lockdown and being stuck in France by, as I said, probably three days. And yeah, when I got home, quarantine was uh, definitely an experience. It wasn't, it wasn't a um, like self-isolation in your own home. It was a full hotel quarantine, which was something obviously I don't think many people have ever experienced before. It's quite a, crazy experience but we got through it i'm home and it's good to be home so is it you because your your girlfriend partner she was over there with you right <clears throat> yeah 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 it was uh it was really good so yeah we uh we traveled home together and we quarantined together i think uh i think the quarantine obviously two weeks would have been a pretty dismal time doing it um solo <laughs> i was gonna say you guys must be in a pretty good relationship if you can survive two weeks in a room together without getting to <laughs> to leave <laughs> that's yeah uh, yeah we uh yeah we weren't pulling each other's hair out it's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good man well um yeah like, europe's in a crazy place right now and uh they're going through what we went through you know uh in winter especially you know you guys are in sunny queensland you got it good we're down here in victoria where it got real crazy for a while there with the restrictions and, and all that other fun stuff but um yeah, it wouldn't have been a fun time. I know I messaged Bailey, your teammate, the other day to see when he's home, and he said he's not going to be home until uh, December. Um, that's if he's even able to, to get out. Hopefully he can at this point. But um, we'll probably start there. So the team, you know, the 114 Motorsports team, is that that's based in France, or are you guys based um, elsewhere? Where, where is that based? Yeah, so the, the team there um, with Honda, 114, it's actually right down south of France. Oh, okay, so, so yeah, south of France, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's south of France. It's uh, it's about like 35 minutes from the Spanish border. So it's, it's like, it's a really nice spot there, actually. Um, it's yeah. kind of like uh, for, 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 you know, anyone up around the New South Wales, Queensland area, it's kind of like a Byron Bay sort of vibe, um, close to the beach. Um, yeah, like it, it's kind of got everything, um, kind of just feels like Byron. So it's kind of good, you know, because, it wasn't, uh, you know, going there to a new country. It wasn't such a rude shock initially. Um, obviously, with with everything else, you take on board moving to a new country like that with a with a language barrier and all that sort of stuff. It was uh, probably the prime location to to um, enter into Europe. Let's say. Yeah, I mean that that was one of the questions. You know, you didn't go there, and you're not based in Lommel in the middle of winter when it's snowing and the tracks frozen in the morning and and all that good stuff. Um, you know, I'm from the UK, so I know all about winter in Europe. It's not a fun time at all. Um, but yeah, that, that's a good that's a good point. Um, so I'm assuming you'd have done most of your preseason and that in Spain. Is that where you guys were at most of the time? Um, actually, when we first went there, it was quite weird. I thought we were going to do quite a lot of traveling around when we first got there, but I think obviously because uh, haven't been never been there and and uh, first year in Europe with this team and stuff like that. I think uh, we stayed right because. Uh, workshop of the, the whole team was like not even a kilometer from the like us that we had there so right um the both of us we had an individual sort of it's bigger than an apartment but it's probably not as big as a full-size house so it, it was like really comfortable and it was literally only a kilometer from the workshop so i think that being with the setup that they have there it was just full full grind like and you know we kind of stayed there a lot and uh their main uh, practice track that we did a lot of training in the winter, uh, they had us training in the sand like every single day. I don't even, I think it was like probably three months before we even rode a hard pack track. It was insane. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, and that sand track that I was just explaining was um, 20 minutes from the house as well. So we were just like, you know, we were just uh, 
pretty much like boot camp. The gym was super close. It was just ride, train, you know, work right there. It was uh, it was a pretty good setup. So we actually spent most of our, you know, because I went there in November. We spent most of our uh, preseason in the sand just there in the South France. It was quite good. Yeah, so um, that's that's one thing. Maybe we'll just go back to, you know, there's a lot of things I want to talk about with the team and, and um, you know, the GPs and, and everything in between. Uh, but first of all, you know, for obviously the Australian listens, the audience that listen to this podcast, um, 2019, bit of a up and down year for you. You know, you had some really good standout rides where you, um, you know, you won some MX Nationals. Then, you know, you got injured before Supercross, didn't end up doing Supercross because of the injury. And, and then, you know, next minute you were uh, signed up to, to go to the MXGPs. So um, how, how did that transition happen? Were you working on the MXGP deal throughout 2019 or did it happen pretty last minute or what was the go there? Um, yeah, it was kind of like a last minute thing. Like, um, yeah, it kind of just happened. It happened really quickly, honestly. And like, I'd known about it for a little bit, um, like not a whole lot of time. Um, and then as you said, like, yeah, 2019 was a little bit up and down. Um, at the start, it wasn't so good. I come in well and truly unprepared. Um, of an injury. Well, that was and your shoulder just, Rico, wasn't it, from the year before? Is that- well, yeah, actually, well, that was, the shoulder went really, really well, but if uh, if you remember at the end of 2018, I came back for Supercross and rode for CDR for oh, three that's weeks, right. pretty much. Just, yeah, yeah, I yeah, came back right. and, uh, yeah, I did the 450 gig, and honestly, it was the stupidest crash, the smallest crash, and ended up with the worst injury I've ever had, so. Um, was and, that and the, honestly, uh, the Tib Fib situation or yeah. something? Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was actually really bad and um, worse than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Because all while all the bones healed and everything, and everything went well with the recovery, the uh, range of motion and getting the strength back in my, you know, my the top part of my leg as well. Like it was crazy how long it took. Um, so anyway, so yeah, the, t- the start of 2019 was a bit rough and then we, we uh, you know, we worked hard and got back to where we needed to be towards the end of 2019, which I guess then created this uh, opportunity for me um, yeah. to go to Europe. So, and uh, that team, you know, it seems that um, they, they seem to have a bit of a love affair going on with Australian riders because it's been a few years now where uh, it seems like it's the Aussie, the Aussie pipeline MXGP, you know. Yeah, I don't actually know, to be honest, the real reason behind that. But, I mean, it's really good for Australian riders, you know. Like, as um, as all of us know here in Australia, how hard it can be sometimes to get opportunities or whatever outside of the outside of our country. So, I guess for a team to be, you know, really like the Australian way of how we do things, I guess, or, you know, just like Australians, Australians in general, it's good for our riders here and stuff like that. So, um yeah, I mean, it, it's good. It's really good. And, and uh, the team obviously speak quite good English, so that was a bonus. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a pretty good setup. I mean, like I said, you're in the south of France, near the Spanish border. And I mean, for, for a lot of people that haven't been there, listen to this. That's a nice part of the world, like you said. And, um, you know, you've got guys like, uh, you know, Eric Sorby, who's a very, you know, well-established pro in his day. And I want to talk about that a little bit more, how he he's involved in the team and, Olivia Lancelot's team manager. I just, I don't know, man. It seems like a lot of those MXGP teams are very, it's, it's a lot more of a high level than it is over here with, with budgets and, and I guess that MotoGP almost mentality of it's very corporate, you know? Um, but mm-hmm. for, for you guys going over there, your first year in MXGP, it sounded like a pretty low stress home to be, uh, to be based out of, you know? Yes. Yeah, yes and no. Definitely they made it very easy to, to transition, you know, in the beginning, obviously, with, uh, you know, with obviously everything that you take on board moving out of your country to go live on your own. And then, you know, yeah, I guess moving into that sort of transition, you know, they definitely did whatever they could to make you feel comfortable and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, as you said, you know, with Eric there and, and Livia, we worked, we went over there in November. We worked really closely with them right up until Christmas, which we, then spent a little bit of time actually back home with the family. And then once we went back in January, uh, the start of January, it was um, full steam ahead. So the, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about, which was definitely not an ideal way to, to have your first MXGP season was the fact that you went back in January, like you said, um, 
you know, you guys did, I think, two rounds or three rounds, right? Yeah, um, it was two, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then the world goes crazy with COVID. Um, so then you come home again for uh, how, how, how many months were you back? I think I was back for close to like four and a half months. I was back in March, May, June. Yeah, probably four months. I was back. I uh, got back in March and I left again in, I think it was the start of July. So it was, wow. uh, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, cause I just, I, I know you had a 450 Honda. You were riding up in Queensland and, and trying to keep things moving. But, um, Man, I, I, you know, here's one of the things I was going to say a minute ago, which I actually uh, forgot to say, but with the team you were at, like, I feel like, and I'm sure you did your homework a little bit, Nathan, but you, you, there's so many guys in Australia that, you know, you look at Luke Stike, you look at Caleb Ward, Jay Wilson, you know, the list goes on where uh, they, they took these rides with these teams and I don't know if the team promised more than they could deliver or, or the equipment or this or that. But really, you know, some of those guys, it literally, you know, was a career killer. And, and they had to come back uh-huh. and, and it really didn't work out. Um, uh-huh. y- you were able to land in a team where I think they, they seem to have the riders' best interest at heart because, you know, the MHGP scene, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you, you can buy rides. There's a lot of somewhat sketchy teams where money doesn't always go where it's supposed to and that's a whole other conversation. But um, yeah, definitely. first of all, you know, you landed at a good home, which was really cool and I think that's um, – that that's a good thing for your career step. But but then the downside is, I was going to say, your first year of MHGP where you landed in that team where I think it was a really good place for you to be was then that two rounds in, the whole season gets pretty much postponed and, and you're back home wondering what's going on, right? Yeah, it was honestly, yeah, it was weird. Like, I think all up, um, I think I ended up doing like four trips to Europe in one year. Like, it was insane. Yeah, so it's not a short journey either. <laughs> no, no, no. Like it's crazy. And, and like, you know, it's not just the weird thing is, is like getting to, you know, France or Paris there. Cause that's where you fly to in Paris. Getting there is like, you know, just two planes, but getting down to the South is like two planes, trains, this and that. Like it's not easy. Um, and yeah, it was like four trips, I think in the one year. And, as you said, we got there in January and you thought that you were locked into the year and we got we got two races in and then, you know, the weird thing was in France or in Europe, whatever, I never watched the news or anything like because it's all in not in English and stuff like that. So you don't actually really know how bad the situation's getting and how serious it is. And obviously, I don't think the world's ever really dealt with something this bad, right? So we don't know what to expect and... And then, um, honestly, we finished the, the – we did the second round in the Netherlands and we got back to our base in France. And I remember we were out practicing one day and um, Eric said to us, oh, yeah, like, the country's about to be locked down. You might be going home. And sure enough, three days later, like, we were gone. Like, it, it was like it come up as a topic and we were like, holy crap, this is the thing. And then three days later, we were gone. So <laughs> wow, just that. And then that it was quick. just yeah, it was it was that quick. And then it was like, well, we've gotten home back to Australia, and then it was like we were just like hanging for the phone to know when they were gonna the restrictions were gonna ease in Europe, and whether they were even gonna get racing again. And while they said like, yeah, yeah, no, we're definitely going racing, it was like, all right, well, that's that's good to hear. But when? And then as as we were talking before, it ended up being four months I spent at home and I didn't even like crazy. And then I was going back again. So, so did you, yeah, it, was, um, it was strange. The team, they were in regular communication with you guys and saying, you know, that this is, looks like this because there were that many schedules that got released and then revamped and, and were they updating you sort of every week or did you just have radio silence until it was like, Hey, get your ass on a plane or what was the go? Well, in four months, I reckon, like, not because, you know, not because the communication was bad, but I reckon in that whole four months, I reckon we probably spoke maybe, like, six to, like, six to, like five to ten times, but it was every time it was, like, still locked down or restrictions are easing, we don't actually know when it's happening, and you're like, yeah, no worries. And then, like, yeah, as you said, like, calendars kept coming out, kept getting changed, and all the, like, the races kept getting pushed back. And then uh, all of a sudden there was like, all right, like Europe's looking, they said to us, like Europe's looking pretty good. Um, they're, they're allowing international travelers to come in on a business on, uh, I think it was a working, you had to be like a, an essential to be there, like a working 
yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I did. I processed a few of those for um, for some of the riders I help out with with uh, management, and yeah, it's basically essential. Uh, essential travel yep. or whatever you want to call it. You have to plead, you know, yeah. I'm sure you would add letters from the team and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, the um, the process for that was just nuts as well. So we ended up hearing from them going like, hey, they're allowed, you know, they're going to allow international travelers with a certain, you know, certificate or whatever from the 1st of July. And I was, I was there on the 1st of July. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you guys just once, got straight back into it as soon as you could. Yeah. 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 We got straight back into it. So, once we got back, it was fairly smooth sailing, you know, like the world wasn't, I mean, you know, living wasn't normal, but it was fairly smooth sailing. Like there was, it was masks every, like you have to wear masks everywhere and whatnot, but you could, you know, you could, uh, you could get, you could live, you know, like it was just a little bit different, but um, obviously, yeah, the, the season kicked off and, and never really stopped. So I guess it was, it was good in the end. I, I my, you know, I felt bad for you guys when uh, you had, you know, when you have like a, say for you, if you, you were over here, you'd done a couple of rounds of, of MX Nationals or Supercross and then there was a break and you went back into it. Like that's fine because you're an established pro, you know the system, no big deal. But when you're mm-hmm. in a new environment, you know, you do two rounds, you kind of get your feet wet, but you, you're not in a position where those established MXP, uh, MXGP guys, they can take some time off, they come back, they know the tracks, they know the format they know everything in between i felt like you guys probably got robbed of a little bit of your um your learning curve you know because then you got Mm. thrown into the the triple headers or whatever and um Mm. you know that that in itself was a different format you didn't get the time to learn the tracks the free practice like it was all completely different again right so um Mm -hmm. hey i know it's the same for everyone but i still feel that you got a rough go of it being there your first year and that's how it went down you know yeah yeah, it was uh, it was strange when we went back. Luckily, they had us doing some um, like just some French championship races and stuff, just to get rid of some of the jeers and whatnot. Because you actually um, won the French actually, championship, right? I won. No, so I got like I mean, we missed a round because one of the French championship races fell on a GP weekend. Oh, okay. So we missed one, but the two, the two, the two French championships that I did, I got second in the first round, and then I won the last round. So, yeah, that was that was cool. Um, those French championships are actually pretty fun, to be honest. Um, it's a big series, the French yeah, series too. Like, um, they're, they're very yeah, it's no, passionate kind of no uh, industry over there. Yeah, it's still like sick. Like the the French championships were honestly like a turnout, like. I would honestly say probably, and you know, not to knock Australia at all, but I would say like they probably get, you know, they get a lot more spectators than what we do here in Australia, which is, and the vibe was cool because it wasn't, it wasn't a GP, but it was like still, still good. You know what I mean? Oh, and, for sure. Um, I remember the, I remember the first round we went to like the, uh, they capped the amount of people they could have in there at the first round of the um, French championship. I think it's, it's something to be said for like France, like France and, and some of these European, like Spain, there's a lot of old country, like I remember, you know, long before I came to Australia and, and, and raced, like my first career, I guess you could call it, but I did some of the, the international races in France back in like 05 and 06 and it was like, it wasn't, I don't know what you'd call it, it was before the European championships were, were a thing with MXGP, but you had to have like an FIM license and I don't exactly know what the classification of the race was called, but like they would pay, you know, riders from different, like UK, Spain, Holland, like we, we'd all have start money to go over there. Um, and it was mm. just like a local race, but they had such mm. a strong, like the local, and you know, being in those French towns, the, the local town, like they all get involved in the motocross track and they all, come spectate they will sponsor it like it's a whole different vibe to like mhgp is like this elite level mass series that's um that's being ran at a high level but then some of these european countries they still have a really good grassroots pro uh race series i guess you could call it which mm-hmm. i guess it doesn't get a lot of publicity around the world but yeah like i, I get where you're coming from with the french championship because it's a really cool vibe yeah funnily enough actually with how the gps ran this year with the no spectators and stuff like that the French championship actually felt bigger in a way because they were allowed spectators and it like maxed out capacity. So like while the GPs are the GPs were have no spectators, there was like obviously it was hard to you know, the vibe was obviously a little lower than than obviously a normal GP in a normal year. 
But with the French Championship, there was no, I don't know what their rules were, but there was no, like spectators were definitely allowed and they had a cap, but the cap was like, you know, stupid amount of people still. So, yeah, it, and then every every round that we went to was, was capped out, like it was full of spectators. So it almost felt bigger in a way. It, it was weird. Yeah, that's cool. I, again, it's a shame that, you know, the MXGP, uh, the crowds in some of those countries is pretty impressive and they, they love their motocross, but it's a shame you didn't get to experience that. But uh, so did you win the last round of the French Championship or I saw you on the podium for something? Am, am I right there? Yeah, yeah, that was the French Championship. Yeah. Um, the last the last round I won and, and then, as I said, the, the, second, the first one was when I got second. That's right, yeah. Okay, I confused that with the Championship, but that's cool. That's still a big mm. deal. Um all right, so let's go to uh, you. Go back, you know, you're back into it um, after being home for for the four months, and then you guys go to Latvia for the first um, triple header. I think it was right. Um, yeah, that track to me is an interesting track. I don't think TV does it justice. I, I watched a lot of those because that was when we were still in full lockdown and, and we couldn't really do much. But a um, mm-hmm. couple interesting things from that round, I, I think. Either Jed crashed in the first turn, then you crashed or something, and then you and Jed ended up charging through the field in one moto, like glued to each other. Um, yeah. So, yeah, talk about that a little bit. Like, how, how was it, um, you know, racing guys that you've raced in Australia and then all of a sudden you're racing them on the other side of the world? Does it does it feel like you're just at Coolum doing uh, MX National? Or what, what's that like? Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Like, um, yeah, we I remember the race like perfectly me and him we were yeah as you said glued to each other and and um whether it be him you know me and him kind of uh, going back and forth in position but we were always like if he made a pass on say someone in front of him i was like we just we just went through the field together um and it was cool like like we were racing hard and we were racing clean it was really good and and um yeah it just felt like home i it was like a weird feeling because uh the tra- obviously we're on the opposite side of the world and, and it, it all feels so different, but in a way, like, it's like, you know, it feels like before, you know, you've raced him and with Jez there and, um, yeah, we, we battled for 35 minutes and, and through the field. So that was pretty cool, um, to do for sure. Yeah. Is it a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a bittersweet deal for you, but you see, you know, say back, uh, geez, I'm trying to go through my years now, but what year was it that you basically won the title, but then, didn't you got injured the week of the event? Yeah, what year 20, was that? 2016. Yeah, that and, was. And then that was the. Did Jed win that year? That was the year. He, uh, yeah, he won it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, you know, I'm not phrasing that question as to say that you know. Long story short, the, the championship was basically yours, and then you got injured. But yeah, is it a little bit of a bittersweet deal for you where the the career paths have gone a little different, and you know, you see he's on Factory Husky, and he's a bit more established in MXGP, and you know, yep. the injuries you've had. And, and unfortunately you have had a few injuries, you know, only talking to you now, I'm like, mm. geez, you know, you've had that shoulder injury and you, you, yep. you, and you've come back really strong each time, which is super impressive. But, um, mm. it must be a little bit of a, a bummer when you go, man, like I, I had that guy kind of beat for a championship a few years ago. And, and now I'm still kind of trying to play catch up a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, bittersweet you say, but like, I guess, you know, that's my fault that I, you know, ruined that championship in 2016. And obviously, Jed went ahead and won that one, which is, you know, good on him. And then he and obviously not, went to yeah, Europe. Not taking anything yeah, away yeah, from Jed no, either. Yeah, yeah, saying no, that. definitely. Yeah, I'm not yeah, trying to say that not. either. So. Um, yeah, 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 100%. 100%. Um, you, you know, you got to be in it to win it. And I wasn't. So, uh, um, yeah, obviously, he went over. I'm pretty sure this is like his fourth or fifth year there now. And obviously, it was my first. So, obviously, you know, sometimes... You know, it doesn't always pan out exactly how you want it. As you said, I've had a lot of injuries, and I wish far out I've had too many. And I'm, um, I actually feel like I'm slowly, you know, I feel like I've had my injuries now. Obviously, dirt bikes are extremely dangerous and whatever. Every time you throw a leg over the bike, you're in a risk zone. But uh, I feel like I'm kind of getting on top of that now. But uh, anyway, yeah, I've had a lot of injuries, and Jed got over there at, at a good time, I believe, and obviously. You know, throughout his four years being there, he's established himself, and I only I only got there this year. And you know, I was actually pretty pumped that you know, while a lot of the times Jed kicked my ass, I was actually pretty pumped at times I could you know do what I did that day with him in Latvia. Like whether he crashed or I crashed, we met each other on the track, and you know, we battled hard for thirty five minutes, and it's like 
good to see, you know, like he's obviously on a factory bike and, and my bike was, you know, quite good, but you know, you know, the difference between a factory bike and, and say an old factory bike, I'm not saying my, my bike was a shitter, it was good, but like, you know, it's, uh, it was good to see, you know, and, and kind of refreshing in a way, like Jed's been there for a long time. And, you know, as I said, at times he did definitely kick my ass, but also when I was having a good day, like I was right there, which was, which was good to see for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was kind of reassuring and, and good. And I wish I could have got a couple more better results, but my first year in, in that country and in that champion, just, there's always a lot of things to learn and I guess a lot of up and downs to go through. Oh, for sure. I think let's, let's touch on that a little bit because, you know, you think they, they say, oh, factory teams, say here in Australia or, or even a factory team in AMA. Yeah, maybe in the 250s in AMA, that's not a good example. But, you know, say in Australia, you know, you rode for Serco, you rode for, you know, Troy Carroll, CDR, whatever, whatever. Like I've, I've not ridden all those bikes. I've ridden some of those bikes and, and they're still production-based models. There's nothing crazy. You know, they might have a, a factory Dunlop on or they might have some internal suspension or a head or a cam. But like for the most part, you know, it's it's not... If if the guy yeah. in fifth at the MX Nationals jumps on on that Circo bike you had that year, whatever, he it's not going to make or break his career. But in yeah. MXGP, like you said, like that that factory Husky team, for example, or that factory whatever team, that is literally a completely different ball game. That is a factory bike. That the most of the components on there, whether it's a different swing arm, different frame length, different whatever, whatever ignition mappings, like you cannot buy those products. And um, yeah. I think you could probably attest to that better than what I'm trying to do as a job there, but I can imagine yeah. racing those bikes is it's a different level, right? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just at the least it's a different level. I think there in Europe, um, good equipment is like obviously good equipment is key anyway. But there in Europe, those guys on those factory teams have got it so good with their equipment, and like while you know, I respect every single person I race on the line. You don't knock their ability, but you throw somebody with really good ability at one of those factory bikes, like it's crazy the difference. And while, you know, as we spoke here in Australia, like, you know, you ride a Serco or, you know, you ride a Honda or you ride a Cowie or whatever, all the bikes are, you know, across the board, some, you know, somewhat, you're not going to have one that's, tenfold over another team you know what i mean like they're kind of all yeah it's a it's a level it's a level playing field within reason yeah 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 along the you know it's all kind of along the board a little bit but over there in europe those factory bikes and and all that sort of stuff like you know obviously own that you have to earn the equipment and stuff like that but once you get there like yeah it's it i would have i would love to ride one of them things just to see what they're like and yeah, I believe like those DMs and obviously Husky and the Yamaha, like those things are insane with how they like just work. And yeah. it just, it's, yeah, ridiculous. I mean, you see Yago Geertz and, um, and Ben Watson and that just hole shotting everything in the sand, like every round. It doesn't matter where they start, what they do. Like they're in that first turn. It's yeah. like, you know, Vial and Geertz and. And it, you know, obviously they got their starts down pat, but there's there's just no variation. You know, it's just like those guys. Yeah, like what the, you know, like obviously you're racing the best dudes in the world there, and obviously they, you know, as I said, their ability obviously and what you know they aren't getting to that position and, and in that team, but it's the it's those two or three every time in the first corner. You know what I mean? So like, surely one of the days one of those two is going to mess it up. But even if they do mess it up a little bit, like they can, they can be like maybe a split second off on their reaction or, you know, a split second off in there. Then they're still going to be free. Like it's crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and that's the thing. I don't think people understand that, uh, you know, um, geez, I haven't been to MXGP in like 15 years, but when I used to go back in the day, it, it was still, um, it was not what it is now, but you could still tell that there was a lot of bikes, a lot of bikes that were not close to production. That the technology is just far superior. But um, so let's talk about the the bike you were on because I'll be honest. Like when when Hunter was over there on that team, um, he seemed to make it work, but I don't think it did him any any real justice compared to some of the bikes he was racing. And then when I when I heard mm-hmm. last year that when I first heard that Mitch Evans had signed for those guys. 
I was like, man, mm-hmm. Mitch is getting off a 450. He's a big dude. You know, he's what, like mid 80 kilos, whatever. And I was like, there's no way, because Hondas are not renowned for fast engines, you know? And mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's a bad choice. Like, he's really going to struggle on that bike getting starts mm-hmm. because, you know, track position over there is very important. And mm-hmm. and I was like, man, I was really wrong. You know, they, they, they made that bike work for him. He did a killer job, and obviously it got into that HRC ride. So mm-hmm. it's not a factory bike, but it's still um, still competitive, obviously. Yeah, and that's the best way to put it. It's, it's competitive, you know. It's not a factory bike. They do just, they do put a lot of effort into it, and it's competitive, and that's the best way to explain it. Um, I have never ridden Honda up until this year. I didn't mind the bike. Like, just I'm not talking about their bike particularly. I'm talking about Honda. You know, I didn't mind mind the Honda. Yeah, would it be my first choice? I probably would say no, but. Yeah, like their bike was competitive, um, and and whatnot. Like you, you know, me and Bailey here and there got some pretty decent starts and whatever. Um, the the hardest part, man, is is actually setting your bike up for those tracks. Like it's something else. Like it's it's uh, it's so different the way that the tracks form up over there and the size of the bumps. Like and 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 you think you've got it to where you like it. So I would go training during the week with my, with my practice bike and whatever. And I'd be, you know, like going fast and feeling good. And you rock up to the race and it's a completely different ball game. That was the hardest part for me. Um, you know, and the hard, uh, the, the other hardest part was uh, our practice tracks obviously don't get nowhere near as rough as our race tracks. So like you kind of have to take a shot and go, Oh, like try and set your bike up at the practice track, but set it up for a race. You know what I mean? So that yeah. that was a hard part for me um, because yeah, obviously it, it really doesn't work that well um, at the practice tracks. So you don't feel very good, and then you go to the race yeah. and you're hoping it's those same conditions, right? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, ho- you're hoping that you've gone the right way. So uh, yeah, I mean the bike was was pretty good. Like, there's nothing really bad to say about it. I mean, I I never really had any doubts because, like, I know that they put a lot of effort. You know, just with it being a Honda or whatever, I know they put a lot of effort into the bike and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, like it, it was, it was pretty good. It was competitive. That's the best way to, to put it. Now you, you know, on your good days, you know, you, you seem like a pretty solid kind of seventh to 10th place guy. Um, no, I, I guess no major standout res, results for the year as far as an individual moto or whatever. I think you said your best moto was like a seventh. Um, where, where do you think you could have been better? And, um, you know, were you surprised by the speed of everyone over there or, or was it just the case of, in my opinion, like I think you're very, as a rider, you're super capable of doing better than that. I think, yeah, you know, it's just the case of like you giving those guys, you know, like VL and Geertz and that, like they're, they're out front every single hole shot, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and you're giving them track position already. You know, you're giving them, they know the system, they know the format, they know the tracks, they got, you know, nothing against one one four, but bigger budgets, better teams, better equipment, whatever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like I, I guess it's it's tough to say where could you have been better, but yeah, where do you think you could have improved and 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 really made that difference to get into say like the top five in MX two? Yeah, I think it it honestly is just consistently needing. You know, you need to consistently beat, and then and then you learn their speed and their intensity. First, like ten to fifteen minutes is that the intensity is super high. So, like, for example, if you get a good, got a few there, like, I got a few good ones, like, you then have to adapt straight away to their intensity. So, being there and being up the front to learn their intensity, obviously, you have to you have to be there a substantial amount of time to get used to that intensity and, what, uh, you know, what I'm saying there. Yeah. So, obviously, my, you want to call it my starting, my rate, like, I had a lot of bad ones and I had a cut, like, quite a few good ones but like don't think I was there enough to learn the intensity like I needed to be there more consistent not just get like one bad start one good start or like two bad starts one good start you know what I mean I needed to be there consistently to learn a bit more um, but honestly like it, it's it's hard because it comes down to like when you get that good start you, you try and run their pace and whatnot and and then you, you're pushing that extra little bit and then it like it's the smallest things like coming back to your bike setup might not be what you, you know, because the tracks are so different when you get to the racetrack um, in particular. You get to the front and then you try and push with them guys and then your bike setup might just be a touch off and then 
I, you know, for any motocross rider knows that when your bike's like not where it needs to be or, or not you want it to be at least, pushing that speed is, is hard to sustain or like it can't, you know, it might not be comfortable. So I think, uh, you know, for me, where I can better is to just get some better start, like, you know, consistently get better starts. You know, I had a few, but I mean, be there a lot more. And that way, you, you know, the, you, there's no way, better way of learning than just being in that front five all the time. You just, uh, you know, it slowly comes to you. You figure it out. You figure out how their intensity and, and you know, then, you you know, you work better with your bike and stuff like that and you get it where you need it. Um, so, yeah, and, and the, the hardest thing for me was once I got a good start or whatnot, pushing that intensity and then, like, I it's got nothing to do with the team or who was doing my suspension, but pushing that intensity with a bike that with, with that I wasn't a hundred percent comfortable with on those tracks was hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I, you know, I don't, I don't consider myself to be unfit. You know, I can, I can, you know, I feel like I'm pretty fit and I can race hard and whatnot. But you know, if you, if your bike's not right there, it's going to really show or it's going to really um, affect, you know, your, you know, how you can, how can push for how long or, yeah, you or can even do just it the comfortability. For, you can do it for five minutes or 10 minutes, but it's really going to take its toll on you mentally and physically to be able to, um, you know, like you said, you're racing the best guys in the world on the best equipment. Um, you know, if you're not there with with your setup and, and people talk about that a lot nowadays and I think sometimes not saying yourself, but I think sometimes it's bullshit. They use it as an excuse, but where where you're at and I don't think people get this with MXGP either. It's like, you know, you're at um Latvia one week for three rounds, which is like a square edge kind of sandy hard base underneath, which looks honestly mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, I, I look at that track and go, I think I'd have no fun riding that whatsoever. That yeah. It's sketchy, man. Yeah, so yeah. Sketchy. All right. I'm glad that that's because I just looked at it and I'm like, dude, that looks like you cannot predict what your bike is going to do. If you hit the same thing twice, the same, it would deflect differently both times. That's how it looked to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then like you go from Latvia, I can't remember if it was the next round, but then you go to Italy where you were um, uh, and it was like that super hard pack kind of narrow hilly track. Um, not, not Trentino where it finished recently. The other, the other Italy rounds, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, and Anza, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it looks like you're out at, um, you know, you're out at freaking a uh, blue groove hard pack, uh, app in on a, on a Wednesday, you know? And, um, yeah. and, and the bike setup is no big deal. Sand settings, hard pack settings, people might think, yeah, whatever. But when you're at that elite level, those settings have to be so spot on to to run that speed you know um yeah yeah and that's what you're saying basically isn't it is that you know if you're just a little bit off on on your high pack setting or your sand or your loam or whatever um mm-hmm. it, it, yeah that's where it's at yeah well obviously here in australia with setting up my suspension you know i feel like i'm a pretty good test rider and i get my my bike how i want it um here in australia i could almost have my bike the same everywhere close you know what i mean like yeah. not a whole lot of changes in Europe, the uh, the it seemed to be that the way of life with suspension is stiff, stiff and just stiffer. And <laughs> while we did all our preseason in the sand, you just keep going stiffer and stiffer and stiffer, and you're just thinking like, surely I can't go any harder. And you keep going and you keep going. But then, as you said, we end up at a hard pack track that's blue groove, and you've got this rock hard suspension. And then you get a rude shock when you go out. You're like, oh god! Like it's 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 so hard. Like you have to do put in a lot of time and a lot of like a lot of different tracks to figure out actually how stiff you can go, and then where you can get to a point where you can just alternate between different tracks and you know how it's going to feel. Just you know, get it in that you know zone of being rideable on like all surface. And that was that was a hard thing for me too you know, get. Yeah, no, I, I, you know what I understand because it's funny you say that harder, 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 but when you're in preseason and you're riding those same few tracks and, and you're, you're going fast, then the suspension tech's like, oh, well, we need it to stand up more. Let's go harder. Let's go harder. And, and, and you get that confidence from it, right? Um, 
We we did it when I owned my race team in 2017. You know, we had um, the guys fly out from Europe from Olin's and, and SPMX was working with us and and we're at the test track and we're just going harder and harder and the guys are going faster and faster and you're like, this is, you know, this is great. But then it just didn't always translate as well as we'd wanted to the, to the races. And again, where you're at, like, it's funny. Here, here's how I, I describe Australia as this. The, the, the bumps in Australia they tend to fall into the ground as opposed to rising out of the ground. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you agree with that. That's my opinion. And, yeah. you know, in America, the bumps, the track tends to lift out of the ground and they stay on top of everything. MXGP, mm-hmm. it seems like there's a mix of both depending on the track. Mm-hmm. Well, how does the tracks form up? What's, what's your opinion there? Oh, it's different everywhere you go. Like, I, we, we, you know, we were talking a lot here before that, that place is like it's kind of got the ground of like a Murray Bridge, maybe maybe a little harder underneath. Yeah. But forms nothing like Murray Bridge. It gets these big weird like square edge holes that have like a bit of sand covering them, and you don't even know that they're there. And you hit one, and it's like it's deep. So like you get big breaking bumps as well, but you also get yeah, as you're right, as a mix. You, these weird square edge holes underneath like some a sandy surface that you can almost not see and it's sketchy. <laughs> but then we go to, we're talking about Fayenza before. Um, that track reminded me of like a Toowoomba and obviously I, I love Toowoomba and I, I thought like, yeah, this is going to be good and, and it just, it just forms so differently. Like I can't describe the bumps in Europe. It, how the track forms up but it, it, it's it's a whole different ball game and that's what was uh, hard to adjust to there the bumps just get you're probably right I think it's a mixture like they go they get deep deep ruts with big big holes in them and then and then you get some big nasty bumps as well that just yeah it's a combination because I, I do try to explain to people like when I you know growing up riding in the UK and we used to race or you know all over France Belgium Holland Spain um but like say the UK for example, I, I, you probably wouldn't have got to the UK this year with the whole situation. But um, you know, th- there's tracks in France and, and the UK in the north of France there where you would look at a, a hilly track that was um, like looks like chalk out of the hill. I'm sure you would have experienced this, and mm-hmm. and the, the the chalk and the rock, you go, man, that's going to be like ice, and and it's actually really grippy. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's other parts of the track where you hit that same patch of chalk, but there's moisture in it. And you literally can't even turn the front wheel because it's like ice. Um, it's just such a variety of surfaces, even on the same track in some of those countries, eh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, it, it's just um, that I guess, you know, uh, this is why probably Europeans are the best motocross races in the world. You know, we see at the nations that the Europeans kind of win most, you know, wherever the nations go. But it's because their tracks are brutal. And that's pretty much the best way to put it. Tracks are brutal in every way possible bumps jumps hills layout it's just brutal there and this is why they're so good yeah it's uh, and they are becoming motocross specialists or they have that that's long established now i think um but it's only going to make you a better rider in the long run i really think that what you've experienced this year is going to help your career but um speaking on that so look you we touched base before this podcast and and obviously you're 23 now so mxgp rules are when you i guess it's not when you turn 23 but once you've finished the season and you're 23 you can't go back into mx2 is that right yeah correct yeah so that leaves you aged out um is it the same for jed now would he be aged out or has he got another year I think he's got another year. Don't yeah. quote me on that, though. I haven't heard anything about him leaving that team, so I guess he must be <laughs> still there. But um, it's probably pretty early, and especially the way the world is right now. But um, mm-hmm. are you hoping to go back for an MX1 ride next year, or, or what, what? what's the, the plans for 21 for you? Um, at the moment, like, there's – you know, I can't give away too much, but I can just say there's options. There are options in Europe, and, like, I have – uh, got yeah, I've got opportunities in Europe. Um, I've also got a couple of opportunities here in Australia. So it's a you know obviously Europe is where everyone wants to be. Um, you know as motocross races. Um, but I'm actually in a bit of a weird situation because you know going to Europe and while it's the place to be, you know everyone thinks and everyone wants to be there. I have to obviously land a good contract that's. That I can, you know, it's in Europe. There's more to a contract than a sign-on and that that 
factor because it's easy to live in Australia as an Australian, but to go out of your own country and go to Europe, it's hard to live and live. Um, so while, while, while I've got both, you know, options in my pocket at the moment, I'm currently in the middle of actually figuring out which one's, which one's affordable for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, well, actually, I'm actually, I think probably the best way to say it is whether I can make Europe work, you know, obviously I want to, and we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But obviously it's, uh, it's a different ball game. Just living out of your own country. It's not, it's not cheap. And we see that again. I don't think if you if you look at the Australian fans and the Australian public, like they don't, it's just not public knowledge. Like you, I don't. We don't speak money. That's always a touchy subject. But you know, number mm-hmm. one, the the level, say not the level you're at, but just the guys underneath you and MX two, they're probably buying their rides. They're not even getting paid. Number one. Second mm-hmm. of all, if you're getting paid whatever you were in Europe in euros. Um, realistically like i know some teams fly riders very rarely at a mx2 satellite usually you're paying for your own airfares or there's different or they'll give you a budget and you've got to f- pay for everything out of that budget including living you know so i you know i've heard stories of guys getting eighty thousand euros as a sign-on over there but they got to buy their flights they got to get their accommodation and they're flying the freaking um all over the world and that doesn't mm-hmm. that doesn't go very far um yeah so yeah, well that's what i was saying like you know while while you have an opportunity and and everyone you know you want to look at the you want to look at the figure just said then you know you might have someone that has an eighty thousand dollar uh, as a euro sign on fee but may end up almost spending 70 percent of that and you know 80 80 000 euros you know it's a lot of money australian dollars but uh obviously you know they may spend 60 percent of that living the year because of just how you know the teams they may give you a good sign on but then everything's then on you know it's up to you to to live and uh, living outside your own country yeah no no one's hooking you up there's no favors you got no connections it's just you're there and yeah. you, you got to pay what you got to pay for right um yeah no and yeah. i get it man like it's it's the dream um uh, and and it's cool you've experienced it and it would be great to see you go back in mx1 with the right opportunity um but mm-hmm. I, I say it i do say it a lot you know i think um i think a lot of especially like i said i've been or, or i come from the other side of the world i know the industry in different parts of the world and i don't think a lot of australian riders really know how good that we have it here you know as in the industry's in a tough time right now with covid and all that crazy stuff and and uh but you know, if you're, you know, if you're Nathan Crawford, you, you're in a position even next year, you can still go make reasonable money racing over here, you know, and um, yeah. and pocket that money. You're not going to be spending it on on whatever else. So it's yeah. uh, it's, even, a, it's a trade off. Even know? just uh, yeah, even just um, take motorbikes out of it. I don't actually, you know, for anyone who may not have done a lot of traveling, I don't actually like you know for for the people who may not have done a lot of traveling, Matt take Australia for granted. Um, we have it way too good here in Australia. Um, yep. Australia as a country is phenomenal. It is. <laughs> that's what I've. That's <laughs> what I have learned coming back from Europe. I'm not saying Europe is a bad place to be. You know, obviously you can go to some incredible places in Europe too. But Australia as a whole, you know, generalizing everything there is to do about life, Australia is just incredible. It is. No, it's like my my opinion and and is to me is the best country in the world to live in. It really is because yeah. um, until recently we had a lot of freedom, <laughs> but you know, um, like I said, I, this isn't the podcast about me, but just on the, on the topic of conversation, like Aussies, Oh, this sucks. That sucks. Like there's a real negative thing about Australian, whatever the motocross series, the, the freaking, mm-hmm. you know, the sport or, or money or whatever, whatever. But it's like, they got nothing to compare it to. And, and yeah. you know, I really feel that we are, in a good position in this country for a lot of, you know, lifestyle and, 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 and the sport of motocross and supercross. So, um, I understand where you're coming from. Like I said, we'll be, we'll probably wrap that one up there, but it will be rad to see you go back there in MX one, but I know how hard it is to make it work. Um, especially in MX one, man, cause it seems like that gap in equipment just gets bigger again from the satellite teams to the factory teams, you know? Yeah. And then even, even um, you're looking at the gap between right, like the riders in MX2 to now the riders that the that European uh, that Europe have in the 450 class, like they they are absolutely no joke if you look at that that riders list. 
Yeah, it's it's you're going into an all star class at that point, right? Um, but hey, man, hopefully you can figure something out. Either way, uh, you know, hopefully it's good for your career, your next move, and and you can set yourself up to um, either have a run at MXGP for a few years, or or you get yourself set up, um, you know, over here. And and I, and I really think with that MXGP experience, you come out swinging in in the Prime X series next year. Um, yeah. So. Probably one other thing I, I think that would be a good thing to clear up for, for the fans and stuff is like you've got, you know, obviously you and Bailey Malkowitz, your teammates, you're living not together but in the same, you know, apartment block or whatever. Like you guys would have spent mm-hmm. a lot of time together, which was probably a nice mm-hmm. thing to have an Aussie um, around you. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Mitch Evans, Jed Beaton, you know, everybody else, um, Wilson Todd, like you guys are, I think people would probably assume that you hang out a bunch, but you're probably about as spread out as you can get all over Europe. You probably wouldn't have seen each other that much, right? Yeah, we only really seen each other at the motor, at the actual, you know, the championship race. Um, and, you know, like, uh, I think, you know, Jed, you know, Jed did a Tales bloody podcast and, you know, said that he was surprised, um, you know, that we didn't hang out a lot more. You know, like, I think it was a, I don't think it was a case of like um, arrogance or the fact that we didn't want to hang out. I think for for me anyway, like my first year just learning the championship, like even just the, the, the things like learning and going through the process of the day before the race, like all the things you had to do and get set up and do this, do that. Like I felt like from the moment I got to the track the day before the race to the moment I left, I was pinned. And like, yeah, I was, like just felt flat out and I uh yeah we didn't spend a lot of time you know you know I'd always say goodbye I'd say, say hello in passing and whatnot but yeah it's surprising you know you, while we do here and there you don't uh it it, it we cling together as such I think maybe towards the end once you know once I started to figure it out I was definitely around a bit more and had you know you know you figure out how to how to do things a little bit more efficiently and to, to free up some of your own time and and then I guess we, we hung out a bit towards the end there, but uh, yeah, it's full on over there. Yeah. And like you said, you know, everyone's got their own program and you guys, you're trying to figure out your, you know, you're there to, to do a job and sometimes socializing, I guess is not um, top of the priority list. I know even when we're at the races over here and I try and get around you guys on a Saturday and talk to you guys, you've kind of already got your game faces on and, and uh, you know, go away sort of media guy, but um, you know, it is what it is. You got a job to do, which we, uh, we understand, but Look, man, yeah, hey, sure. I, I said I wouldn't hold you too long and it's been close to an hour here, so I'll probably um, probably wrap this one up here, mate. But uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on and, and I think, you know, I wanted to talk to a few of you guys coming back from Europe. I'm, I'm not sure what yeah, will... Cool. I think Wilson will be back at some point. Uh, Bailey's going to be back. I, you know, it'd be cool to talk to everybody and just get their experiences over there and, and have the Aussie fans hear about it because, um, you know, it, it's... It's a big deal what you guys do going over there and, and, and having, you know, you might not think it was a crazy successful year, but I think achieving what you did over there with the year that was presented to you, I think you, you guys, um, you, you specifically, you did really well, man. So I think you should be proud of what you did over there in the MHGPs. Yeah, thanks very much, man. I appreciate that. Well, good, man. All right. Well, hey, you enjoy being home and, um, and yeah, we'll uh, maybe we'll do another podcast when you know what uh, what's in store for 21. Perfect, mate. Well, thanks heaps for having me uh, having me on today, and uh, yeah, we'll chat soon. All right, buddy. You have a good one. All right, mate. See ya.